We sort of tried to look at it from the point of view that our competitiveness comes from the fact that we don't know anything about beauty, Mm. but we know how to make something a business Mm. and we know the type of woman that we should try to reach. There's going to be one left and you just have to be the one. And so if you're charged with that, it's like, I don't care what they're doing. I care what I'm doing and what we can achieve and how big we can get. So all the disruptors come from outside the industry Mm. and that's what you need to look at it and say, this is ridiculous that I have to go through this 10-step process to do X, why don't I change that up? Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Holloway, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. What a wonderful week it's been, beautiful people. If you haven't already seen, we started a Seize the A Facebook community last week and it's already bringing me so much joy every day. Thank you to the 200 of you who have already joined and started sharing the little things that make you smile. It's also a lovely place to be able to leave any feedback or further questions for our guests that I can pass on to them. And I'll also, of course, share any new events or products there first. So if you want to join, I'll pop a link in the show notes. Remember, it takes so so little to make someone else's day brighter, so why not do it every day? Little sneaky shout out as well before we start to Mia, Al, Jill and Alicia for beautiful listeners who made my day last week when they came over at a friend's birthday to say hello and sang the whole Seize the A intro song off by heart. <laughs> Nothing brings me more joy than to meet you listeners and hear how you're seizing your yay. So don't hesitate to share or reach out. It means the absolute world because you're not here when we record and it's literally just myself and the guest or just me like right now when I do the intros and outros I'm just sitting here in my pajamas <laughs> I always forget people are actually listening so I love being reminded thank you so so much ladies it was a delight to meet you Back to today's episode, we've got a double dose of Sarah for you with the delightful Sarah Hamilton, co-founder of Bellabox and more recently Sand and Sky. Bellabox is Australia's largest sampling service, bringing tens of thousands of subscribers the latest of everything trending in beauty. And Sand and Sky is the original Australian pink clay mask that has gone viral, tightening pores all over the globe and showcasing Australian natural botanicals to the world. You've probably seen me ramble on about both of them before, as I've been a long-time customer and admirer of Sarah and her twin Emily since many years ago when we first met at a speaking gig. From working the grill at McDonald's in Geelong to a career in finance overseas, I love that Sarah's greatest successes weren't even a blip on the radar until her 30s, proving again that your way to yay is not only not linear, but also not predictable. As always, there's many a chuckle and I hope you enjoy our chat as much as we did. Beautiful people, we are double dosing on the Sarah today. I'm so excited (laughs) to have an amazing Sarah on the show today, Sarah Hamilton, who you will have heard about all in the bio. I will record a bio before. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get into your way, TA, and the incredible journey that led you to where you are today, I love to start with asking everyone what the most down-to-earth thing is about them because I think, you know pretty glossy on the outside a lot of the time so what's something yeah I think it's a great question um and touche on the double up of Sarah's thank you very (laughs) impressive yourself um when I was thinking about this definitely it probably takes me and I did this this morning it takes me about 10 minutes to get ready and that is five minutes of makeup and five minutes of drying my hair (laughs) so I am potentially the least glamorous person in beauty globally (laughs) that is amazing (laughs) especially because you head up big beauty brands it's like I feel like when I say that people are like oh that makes sense you don't wear much makeup if I wear makeup people are like wow that's really quite weird on you (laughs) so so yeah I I keep the the makeup to a minimum that's probably my most I love that I've got my makeup routine even when I do wear makeup down to seven minutes oh that's good I did a little like a video yes. on it the other day just to prove I was like watch it's like it's seven minutes because that's I'm awesome. like you know it's just time time yes. is money people exactly and I feel like one day I wouldn't mind like to be able to sit down and do makeup with a glass of champagne getting ready but 
Maybe that'll be my 50s. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a distant dream. <laughs> it's not happening now. We just raise screaming children. <laughs> All right. So your way to yay. Mm-hmm. I love to not only follow the story that, you know, most people might have heard of before or kind of had some exposure to, but go all the way back to the beginning yes. and find out what you were like as a child. And I think that's really instructive of who you end up being. Mm-hmm. So tell us about young Sarah. Young Sarah, yeah. Growing up in Geelong mm-hmm. as a twin. Mm-hmm. Were you cool at school? I know you grew up around business, but yep. did you think that you'd go into business or did you think you'd have you know a different career first? Or what, what, were, you, what were you like as a child? I think we were very outdoorsy. We were we were really sporty. So I, the cool thing, interesting, probably more on the sporty side than the cool side. I think I tried to wag. Oh, I tried to wag a class once when I was in year eleven. I know. Oh, that's I'm like, so oh, late. I'm late. And it was uh, a friend and I who then went on to become the school captain. And we just sat in the bathroom, nervous that we were going to get caught. So yeah, you I'm didn't even enjoy it. We didn't even enjoy it. Like I was like, why are we doing this? So that was the reason why we never did it again. So yeah, I think we went to a school where it used to be a boys' school and then turned co-ed. Oh. So sport was really huge. So really, the girly side of what we have now got into, it just seemed to sort of appear like later now yeah. 30s as opposed to young. Oh, wow. Yeah, so like I think our first bike was a BMX bike. <laughs> you know, we never we never that. got the floral basket and we never got oh, to, yeah. you know, be girly. We were literally quite, you know, sort of that tomboy feel. Nice. So, yeah, it's kind of funny. And you're identical, right? You and Emily? No, non-identical. Oh, you're non-identical twin? No. So she's, oh, yeah, taller and blonder than I am. Oh. Oh. I dye my hair. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we're quite different. Oh, my but, gosh. And we complement each other well. Oh, that's, that's cool. so nice. Yeah. So what was it like growing up as a twin? It's funny because everyone compares you. So yeah, when we were younger, so we have twin cousins on mum's side and dad's side. So no apparently, way. yeah, we came home from kindergarten one day and said to mum, we're special. And she said, why is that? I said, because we're twins. And she said, everyone's a twin. <laughs> <laughs> In your family, that's true. Exactly, exactly. So, we, so it was only once we got to school that we realised that even though we look quite different, people would still get our names mixed up. Yeah. So oh, there really? Were frustra- yeah, I know. Like, And I had brown hair well I have brown hair under this blonde hair um <laughs> and Emily has blonde hair and people would still they'd know you for two years and then they'd meet Emily and they'd still say to me oh Emily oh I mean Sarah wow. so that was as you're trying to get your own identity yeah. that was a little bit frustrating but something now we're kind of used to yeah. and it means that I am excellent with any twins name because I know exactly how it felt when people yeah. got you mixed up just because you were like yeah, vaguely similar. Vaguely similar. <laughs> yeah. Not even the same height. Like, do we? We weren't even in the same classes. So oh my yeah. Gosh. So other than that, we we definitely got through it. It was good fun. Yeah. Oh mm. good. Well, you would never be lonely. You'd always have a bestie. Exactly. <laughs> and I think we shared a bedroom until we were in year ten, and then we got wow. then as two girls, we'd probably had enough of each other. So, yeah. yeah. I, even that you survived that long is pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I think I ended up sleeping on the bathroom floor. I'd had enough of it. So, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I am Mom my own person. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I don't want to sleep in sleep together anymore. So yes. Oh, yeah. that's funny. Kind so funny. you had a job at the local Geelong Bakery. Yes. And worked on the grill at McDonald's. Which I know. I think it's amazing. <laughs> I think I was one of the only females that did. Um, I think I was one of the only females that actually fit into the McDonald's pants. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> and the reason I wanted to work at McDonald's is I read the book about McDonald's and I thought it was such an amazing business idea that when they opened up in Geelong, I was like, I'm going to get a job in McDonald's. So consequently, I came away smelling like a gherkin after every shift, which is not so great for my boyfriend who would pick me up. He'd be like, this is like kissing a Big Mac. Which is kind of great. Maybe it was so great for him. <laughs> for me, that's a bonus. Wow. He definitely said it wasn't that nice. <laughs> but yeah, and worked at the bakery as well. So always, as soon as I could start working, I did mm-hmm. a lot of work. Uh, I think 18th, I would buy a new dress from Miss Shop every Saturday to get to an 18th. So kind of into fashion, more so in, in beauty, but definitely did a lot of early work. And as you said, grew up in a family um, of sort of entrepreneurs. So mum and dad had their own business, you know, for as long as we were around so we got used to seeing them do long hours when there was a lot going on Mm. and and just that sort of 
ever present work life where this is we work hard and then we get reward for it so for us um we we sort of sort of the natural progression into doing our own thing as well yeah that's so cool yeah but interesting that you so you chose finance when you did end Mm -hmm. up going to uni finishing school did you think at that stage that that was going to be a stepping stone towards business or were you genuinely thinking you might have a you know career in finance first because I always wonder when people have a vague idea of where they want to go and then how they actually maneuver themselves there true and I think dad had always you know said to us that accounting commerce is a really great basis for Mm. anything you decide to do Mm. I actually started doing commerce and law but the law was probably a good contrast because my English teacher told me that you will not enjoy the dusty books. This is not you. So it was almost as soon as I started doing the law, I realised that that was not what suited me. Yeah. Uh, so I dropped out of law and finished the commerce. And I think as soon as I was really into that, then I could see where the sort of future would head. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, it's so interesting because <laughs> I, I think some people, you know, they know from when they're young or even, you know, either just before they finish school or just after they know or they think they know where they want to go and then if something comes up later it's quite a happy accident exactly but it's interesting to hear that for you it was like this is a basis for kind of something that I might do later on yeah and so how long you studied at Monash yep which I also did yeah and then took on senior finance roles in fashion and media Mm -hmm. companies so how was that process did you know that you would have an idea eventually and wanted to get some industry experience first or you know how did that kind of where did you work firstly and then how did you apply for those roles and what did you get out of each of them so I did an interview with um, one of the accounting firms I won't name it and I got shown on a piece of paper the path towards partner and two years this (laughs) and I thought that that was the most boring thing you could ever go through and I even wore a navy blue country road suit to the interview and I bumped into someone that I knew and she was like what are you wearing navy (laughs) (laughs) wow and then I think from that I was like okay I just can't do this job so my first job was actually for Salvatore Malatista who has St. Ali. Sal oh my gosh what a small world really small and so it was when he was doing all the restaurants so when he had plush fish at Melbourne and so my role was the bookkeeper but essentially it was me in the office of one and so all of my roles were really autonomous in finance and then I would be reporting into essentially a director and then after that I went to McCarthy Moon which was a media agency and so again my role was reporting into a director mm-hmm. and kind of having to manage the whole finance function mm-hmm. same at Days and Confused same at Spin so it was always quite autonomous roles which then naturally meant I could see a lot of the business working I was in senior positions mm-hmm. and then I could understand why, how I could do this myself if only I had the creative side to help me. Yeah. <laughs> so it is even a smaller world because yeah. that cafe that or restaurant that Sal had at Melbourne Uni yeah. was with our business partner at Match Milk Bar at the no cafe. No way. Who I studied law with at Monash. Okay, wow. <laughs> what are the chances? It's so weird. It's so weird because then it was Sal would come into the office or he'd be like, come and see me. I forget which law firm he was working at. I'd go, he'd be like, go and do this, this and this. And I'd just have to go back and he'd always come and find me in the office. And I just, and I have, I think I have like quite a strong work ethic. So I could be 22 and working by myself in an office and be there long days, long nights and getting everything done that he yeah. needed. Well, you sound like a very hard worker. So that's obviously, <laughs> it's quite funny. It's like now that I think about it, that I'm like, that was kind of random that I yeah. would be totally trusted to be in this office by myself. Yeah, and, and at just, quite a young yeah, age as at well. Quite a young age. Mm. Wow. Well, obviously set you up very well yeah. for, the, for what was lying ahead for you in the future. So you mentioned Dazed and Confused mm-hmm. and then Spin Magazine. Yeah. So Dazed and Confused was in London mm. as finance manager and then Spin Magazine was in New York. Yeah. So what took you overseas? I think the London thing, and I say the difference between London and New York is London's like a pub and New York, New York is like a wine bar. So I think, <laughs> yes, that's great. <laughs> so London was that time in your life where we were like, everyone was moving over. Like I had a huge amount of my friends that lived in London. So um, Jamie and I moved over when we were like, 24, 25, oh, wow. I know, and then spent four years there. So wow, that's a long stint. And the, yeah, and the greatest thing is that Australians actually have a great reputation despite snake bites and all the lovely stuff that you <laughs> They get really surprised when we don't have kangaroos in the backyard. I'm exactly. like, what do you think our country is? <laughs> yeah, you wow them with that first. Yeah. And then if you work past, you know, one minute past five, they think you're a really hard worker. Yeah. So, yeah, I came in and same deal. I worked really hard. They were a great team, super creative. 
and I kind of had to sort out their finance department. That's my job. Yeah, which was really cool. Like, they were great to work with. And again, I sort of took that same work ethic and I just tried to make it my own and get them a little bit more organised. It's amazing that you you did have so much autonomy in all the roles that you had. It's almost like you were kind of skating around having your own business and running Mm. – I mean, running the finances is – the biggest part of running your own business so you're kind of already halfway there when you had these roles yeah I think in hindsight it feels like that that you realize that you're really trusted to do something so people are relying on you to do the right thing and then you are trying to make the numbers make sense that you can explain it in a way that they're they get it and then they know what to do next so it does I think it was a great setup to doing my own thing and did you were you looking around for business ideas to kind of do your own thing when you were away no, or were you just right. enjoying the expat experience and loving the expat experience and I think Emily's probably more on the business path whereas I was just enjoying life I'm like yeah. this is a great job this is good fun and so it was really Emily my sister that came to me and said let's do this and I was like that's a great idea yeah. oh <laughs> so Emily has eight businesses to her name like I know 12 or something yeah. like that so really early on she started doing her own her own thing and then when they moved to Singapore more businesses and then they decided on Bellabox. So were you in New York? I think you were in New York by that time? Yeah, I was in New York and so she came over from Singapore and said, I think we should do this. You need to move back to Australia. (laughs) (laughs) Because I have a plan for us. (laughs) Being the older twin, I said yes and I moved back to Australia. So yeah, (laughs) I love that you're... I'm pulling rank. I am two minutes older, okay? (laughs) Yeah, so it happened really quickly from there. I think she moved over in May and by September we launched. Oh my gosh. Mm. And so the move from London to New York, what drove that? And then... And at the time when you were in New York, were you looking for something else or were you still, I I kind of, I think people get really bogged down in knowing when they have to, you know, make a change, if they're meant to be looking for changes, if it's okay sometimes to just enjoy a stint in your life because we always look for more. I think we're always looking for, should I be looking for the next thing or is it okay to just enjoy where I am? And I love that in London, you weren't even thinking about it. You were just like... I'm here, I'm having a great time, I've got a great mm. job, I'm learning, I'm in a wonderful country, I can explore that. And you, I just, I love hearing that the whole time wasn't looking for the next thing because no. I think people get really bogged down in that yeah. and it's okay to just sit with a position, maybe not even ask if it's forever or not, yeah. and then just see what happens. And I, totally, <laughs> I totally agree because I think I'm not a planner. I like to make decisions really quickly. So leaving London in the end was more so because I just came back to Australia a few times and I even said to my boss, I will come back from one trip to Australia and I will know that I need to move back to Australia. Yeah. And so every time I'd come back, she'd be like, so <laughs> what's the verdict? <laughs> and the last time I was like, it's it, I'm gone. Yeah. And I, you've got like two more months. And she was just like, oh my God, is this how it's going to happen? So it was more so that I felt like I never thought I would live overseas indefinitely. It was yeah. more that I thought I you know, should come home. And I think when I came home, I did a maternity leave cover for a jewellery accessories importing company as their CFO. And I just realised I wasn't ready to stay in Australia. And I think friends were starting to have babies and I was just like... I think <laughs> I'm Jamie not on told that me, train Yeah, yet. exactly. I was not on that train. So, <laughs> and then Jamie and I had visited New York on the way back from London and I just said, if I don't move to New York, it'll be the one regret that I've had so yeah. far in my life. So turned 30, moved to New York without a job and then just took it from there. Yeah. Oh, my god! And so it wasn't really that I was looking for something else, but I'd been in New York for four years that probably I'd be like, mm, yeah, it's not forever, but what's next? But it wasn't something I was desperately searching for. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love that. So for anyone listening out there, you know, as – so I turned 30 at the start of this year. Oh, I think cool. one of the interesting things that happens is how much people ask you if you're fearful or, uh-huh. you know, you're worried about it or you're having a, you know, breakdown about it. Yeah. And, of course, I had, like, a minor breakdown as yeah. part of turning 30. <laughs> but – there's so much expectation that by then you've sort of figured out your life. And I love that this chapter, the, the now, the business chapter didn't mm. even start until after your 30th yeah. and you'd decided, I'm not even going to stay in this country now. I'm going to still go and do another stint. It's just, I think people think, you know, is it too late? Like yeah. it's never too late. It no, really isn't. If you're not ready for the next chapter in your life and you've got something burning in your body that you're going to regret later, just do it. Yeah. You'll figure things out and exactly. you can, like I was reading today that Elle McPherson started Wellco at 50. Oh, my God, that's amazing. And imagine, like, at 49, she would have never known that that chapter would happen. But I just feel like, you know, you don't need to have it all sorted out at all times. It's fine to just go on an adventure and see what happens. And then, obviously, the business idea came up and it's changed everything. But you didn't know that when you turned 30. And I think the greatest thing about New York is 
you'll be young there. So if yes. you're 30 in New York, everyone's like, you're like a child. You're a baby. Because they so long to finish uni. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like there's interns who are 30. So it's like a very friendly city to go to when you're sort of out of the Melbourne having baby thing. Yeah. And you're... <laughs> So I shouldn't say that. It's great to have babies. No, no, but it's a yeah. very polarising time. Like yeah. Our friends right now are either into, onto their third child and yeah. their second mortgage or they're like so single. Right. There's like not a yes. lot of middle ground and you kind of have to find your way in the middle of that exactly. spectrum and be like, where am I meant to be? Exactly. And it's so fine to, to not fit into one of those boxes. Totally. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So it was, a, it was a great place to go for that reason. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Mm. So then you uh, had the idea for Bella Box mm-hmm. in 2011. Yeah. That is a huge undertaking. Mm. A subscription beauty box business is not just one product. It involves a lot of warehousing, a lot of moving parts. Like if you're going to go into your first business, it's probably one of the most complicated that you could choose. Well done. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) And, you know, it was at at a time when it was the height of the subscription beauty Mm. box and a very competitive, exciting, but fast moving time. So how did you, I think you had 113 competitors in the sector in Australia Mm. that you've since outlived. How did you go about starting? It was interesting. So when we wanted to start, I don't think we had any competitors. And it was literally during that sort of four-month period that competitors started popping up. So I remember being at brunch in New York and my sister rings me like, oh, my God, there's a landing page for one of the competitors. <laughs> there's another one. <laughs> and it was really that moment, like, you know, self-doubt, like, oh, can we do this? And I think we definitely took it from a business angle and also the fact that we were women that don't know how to put makeup on and go to the department store and spend $600 on products that you're never going to use that make you look like a drag queen, which is fine if you want to look like one, but (laughs) not if that's not what you look like at all. And so we could see the benefit of the product for us and we could see the business opportunity. So I think that's why we thought, well, you know, we were competing with a lot of people that are from the beauty industry Mm. and we sort of tried to look at it from the point of view that our competitiveness comes from the fact that we don't know anything about beauty Mm. but we know how to make something a business Mm. and we know the type of woman that we should try to reach. So that's how we we just kept pushing that and we were always big on, we sort of have one eye on the competition and literally one on what we want to do and what we believe this business to be because it got kind of catty for a while there with all the competitors mm. and you know we dipped the toe in for a second we were like no we're not going to do that we're just going to do our business and even yeah. our early investors were excellent in saying there's going to be one left and you just have to be the one and so if you're charged with that it's yeah. like I don't care what they're doing I care what I'm doing and what we can achieve and how big we can get so wow. that kind of drove us it's really interesting how a lot of really big successful businesses are not only disruptors in the industry but not even from the industry which is yes. kind of kind of says something about the fact that if you're not bogged down by tradition and what you should do you come in with completely fresh eyes often as the consumer in the gap yeah and that's how you feel Oh, totally. And I went to a great seminar on Friday and it was talking about that. All the disruptors come from outside the industry. Mm. And that's what you need to look at it and say, this is ridiculous that yeah. I have to go through this 10-step process to do X. Why don't I change that up? Like even at Way Luggage, I really love. Like gap in the market, really expensive luggage. And they're like, I'm going to make it cool. And all the things that I need in luggage because I travel a lot. Yeah. Not because I'm like, no, it needs to be X because I've been in the travel industry. So I think it does continuously prove itself yeah so if you can come in with fresh eyes i think you'll definitely get the best outcome and how did you actually go about starting then like negotiating contracts for how you know how did you curate the products in the first box and Mm. how did you work out your logistics between singapore and australia and then you know building an audience you've done amazingly with you Mm. know edms and building digital customers to build this incredibly loyal following that's then carried through to other businesses but at the beginning how did you start all that infrastructure So because we didn't know anything about the beauty brands, we hired two people that could help us source the products. And that was definitely, and they stayed with us for a really long time because we just didn't know where to begin. The logistics side, all the operations, kind of that's my thing. My sister's so good at social media marketing, so she was the one to get us the customers. So we all sort of just, you know, divided and conquered I suppose what we needed to do and it was just then about learning along the way so what would the beauty brands say no to what would they say yes to what Mm. were they interested in how can we sell out more boxes and really for the first I don't even know 18 months we just sold out every month so it was and it just kept building so I think by creating that demand yeah 
and even re- restricting supply, you always get that excitement and creating a lot of engagement about the products was what drove us to continue to grow. And it was such a new concept at the time in so Australia. Cool. Yeah. You know, no one knew mm. the idea of getting a curated box of new testable exactly. size things delivered to you. It was like, yes. oh, my God, this is like Christmas every month. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, we definitely rode that wave, which was great for the business. Yeah, amazing. Mm. And you had, I think, six family members working in the business so, at the time. Uh, no, gosh. We have all helped out. So I, I am one of six, and I think we were all not earning a salary when we were doing Bella Box. So my one of my brothers did all the design for the Oh, box. really? Yeah. So, and then... The other brother helped out and mum and dad helped out as well, but yes. And the family dog, Bella, is what it's named Bella, after. yes, that was our first black Labrador. Oh, my I gosh, know. I love that. Was, I always wondered, like, Bella obviously is exactly. beautiful. It means beautiful yeah. in Italian, so it makes sense that it's a beauty box, but I didn't know that it had such a oh, nice yeah. family connection. That's beautiful. We didn't want Aileen out the cat people, so we didn't talk about yeah. it. Yeah, so <laughs> that's true, actually. It's, it's a hard one, isn't it? <laughs> And then as you scaled up and were able to kind of step back from day-to-day management mm. and then also even, you know, budget to be able to have staff and maintain them and pay yourself a wage, yeah. how did that scale-up process happen? And how do you – I mean, are there any tips that you can give for – that, That I think, is probably the toughest point in a business. Mm. Getting started and winging it is not easy, yeah. but, it you know, your immediate next step is always clear. But yeah. then in that scale-up phase, it's like where the scarier – bigger risk decisions kind of start to come about where you can't just wing it and you do need to be careful with your money and all that stuff. So how how did you navigate that phase? So it was almost similar to how we hired the two girls, women who helped us source all the beauty products, Natalie and Sam. It was finding the areas where we thought we weren't as strong and always trying to hire better. So knowing, you know, we got a senior acquisition guy, Albert, who we've since worked with at Supernova, who we love, from Canada and we were just like okay we just don't we know how to get this many members we don't know what's next we do not know this landscape so Mm. we just hired those types of people anything that we could do and we could do relatively well then we tried to do that ourselves and it was only once we got to a stage where we're like okay yeah no we want to grow faster let's get someone Mm. who knows Facebook yeah than we know it (laughs) yeah so yeah it was all it was more like step by step and yeah we want to do engaging content and you know we're not copywriters we and so we want someone who's got a background in beauty so it was always but quite considered so mm. we were self-funded for the first year and we just didn't pay ourselves for a long time yeah so everyone ask. else got paid first yeah yeah so I, I kind of think there is a stage where people are hesitant to hire someone because they're like I can't afford it yeah but I'm like well do you flip that and say you stop taking away for what you're doing for a little while and put that towards a staff member who can then build the business to the point where you can take away. Exactly. It's almost like you have to jump before you're ready with things like that. Yeah, and we right from the start we just didn't get paid. So it was an easier decision, but then you have to be more tactical too about the people you hire because there's no point hiring someone who's not achieving their goals mm. because you then will continue not to get paid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's being really upfront with people, which is hard sometimes. Hire you, this is what I expect to see, and then you're monitoring those results. And then with each hire you get more confident because you're like, I hire them, this is what they do, and they're yeah. not satisfied with that. If you just keep hiring people and they're not achieving anything, then mm. yeah, you're in yeah. <laughs> it doesn't solve the problems. <laughs> yeah. And so next you founded Sand and Sky, which yeah. was another huge success in the beauty mm. industry and has absolutely exploded onto the scene. So was it in creating some space out of the day-to-day management in Bella Box that that came about or did you have the idea? So we had – so. Um, so, of course, Emily did this first. So <laughs> her and her husband, Alex, created Skinny Mint, which is a detox oh, tea. Oh, yes. Okay. So that was their first brand. And then they created Body Boss, which is fitness guides. Yeah. And from there, they were saying to me, and this is all under the Supernova umbrella. Did you have Supernova at the time? No. So that then came about, gosh, once we launched Sand and Sky, then Supernova was okay. created. And Emily and Alex created Supernova and I came on board to manage Australia. Okay. Um, but with Sand and Sky, I think we learned so much through Bella Box, how to market, what people want, how people expect results mm. with beauty products that we were like, and I'm kind of obsessed with China. <laughs> and so I wanted, I really wanted an Australian beauty brand that we could sell into China. Yeah. And we're slowly doing that, but we haven't cracked it yet. And then Emily and Alex were like, no, let's just sell it into the US and the UK. So we launched globally as, you know, as far as we could ship. Mm-hmm. And we were like, has to look good, has to work straight away. And we have to engage really cool influencers that can talk about our product. And from there, it just kind of went 
crazy. It's amazing. Yeah. It is amazing. Not only has the marketing been incredible, but it is one of those products where you use it once and you mm. can see your pores get smaller, exactly. which means that it's not a hard sell at all because it's kind of like look at this before and after picture or video. Exactly. And you guys have been really, really good at sharing those results. So it's so visible. Your targeting and marketing is so amazing. Thank you. Like right from the very beginning as well. So it's it's almost like so much knowledge has just come. You know, you've sort of started with half the ingredients this time. Yeah. Which is must have been so exciting to put something out that you're like, I'm not winging it this time at the start. <laughs> yeah, but even then we were still super surprised with the results and it was really – it was a lot of marketing behind it, but it was really customer-led as well. So customers mm. were justifying it. Like, oh, my God, this is amazing. It works. And so – and we were the first, you know, company to really push Pink Clay. The fact that it was Australian made it mm. even bigger. But now there's, like, heaps of copycats, of course. But, yeah, people were then – and it came just after the whole black mask, which is, you know, horrible yeah, on your skin. Charcoal, and, yeah. and the one that peeled off and, you know – Yeah. So we were like, okay, we just come in, we just came in at the right time. And yeah. because we had the support of our customers, it meant all our rate ratings are really high and people just wanted to try it and that was and we sold out and it was hard to manufacture more and more and more so again that sort of viral nature of it was added on top of everything that we probably learned from Bella Box. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's bright pink as well. Yes. I mean, it just satisfies every, like, aesthetics. It feels good. It, it tingles. It smells good. Like, the, yeah. everything about it that you're, you're interacting with is exciting and aesthetic. So yeah. it's perfect. Even the brush. The brush was, like, literally, I feel like, it, in the last three weeks before launch or something crazy, we were like, just it's too annoying to put it on because yeah. it gets under your fingernails. <laughs> so we're like, what about how we have this cute brush? And that's been a huge part of the success, but it was came very late in the piece. We were just like, that'd look really cool. Yeah, we like, probably need one of those. <laughs> we, up, we did all this stuff. So, yeah, and then I think people use that brush on other products with other products as well. They're just like, this is so handy. Yeah. It's nice and cute. It is so handy. <laughs> <laughs> so how have you found transitioning from one main business to now being a managing director at Supernova, mm-hmm. which has four brands, brands yeah. underneath it, mm-hmm. um, and shifting your focus you know, from Bella Box, which is its own brand, but championing lots of different ones to your own brand, um, and both having gone viral and is there like a tipping point afterwards where they kind of slow down and mm. you've got to regulate and figure all that out? You know, what? where are you at now with balancing everything? I think the balance, it's not too bad. I mean, we have a great team at Bellabox. So Emily and I still sit on the board and mm. I meet with them once a week. So that really runs itself. Uh, and then having the four brands under Supernova and especially Sand and Sky has just allowed us to focus. So there was so much going on at Bellabox and now we get to focus on what we're doing. And probably where we're at is like now we just need new products. You know, we were launching yeah. these brands like one or two SKUs and we thought that was fine. And then a year ago we were like, oh, my God, wait a minute. <laughs> we need more asking a product. People are asking for products. Yeah. And our retail partners are asking for more products. So we've got quite a few launches this year, which, yeah. have, of course, have all been delayed. Yeah. <laughs> well, they wouldn't be fulfilling exactly. their nature if they weren't delayed. I mean. And we're like, oh, my God. But really, really excited about the new products that we've got coming out. So yeah. that will be – it'll be really a big end to 2019 for us. So oh, that's – yeah. Exciting. And building – up the brand even further and then really understanding for us where we should go next in terms of goals for each of the products and that's been cool and trying to still you know sort of path our unique way Mm. so we don't have too much of a competitive set and we just get to be ourselves or be Santa's guy yeah Yeah. I I totally resonate with that because with Matcha Maiden we launched with one SKU and we literally had one single product for maybe three years (laughs) because it does go yeah, yeah like you know when the nature of products that do go viral, you don't really have to do a huge amount yep. for the, that, that wave. You know, yep. the timing's right, the product's right, the colours are right, everything's right. And you kind of ride it, you know, delivering everything that you can and yeah. making your point of difference, the quality and the, the way you convey the messaging. And then suddenly you're like, oh, my God, when this all <laughs> like levels out to still yeah. really solid growth yes. but not that exponential yeah, not viralness, like that. Mm. it's like, what am I going to do now? <laughs> And also the the possibilities are so infinite now that it's like which direction. It's not just what do I do next. It's I have 100 nexts and which one with your resources, you can't do all of them. So it's like how do you even know which one's going to be the next thing? And And we even met with my best retail meeting and I always go on about it was with ASOS because you go to some retailers and they're like you need to launch in May and January and blah, 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 blah. And ASOS were like, no, do what you're doing launch whenever you want Mm. 
That's so good. That's, and, the, and then we look at, you know, Kylie's skin. Like, you just we're just like, what? That is the greatest strategy. You know? <laughs> so you've got to just do what you can. I'm yeah. just like, we just kind of have to catch up. Like, we launch products when we want, when they're ready. Mm. I mean, beauty products have to go through so much compliance and stability testing that these things are perfect by the time you launch. So it's not as if you're launching with something that isn't, isn't amazing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then along the way from, you know, going from – Obviously, you had a lot of responsibility in finance at the very beginning, but kind of upskilling into these huge businesses and then into executive roles and boards. What advice do you have for people who are going through that phase or want to upskill without kind of going back to uni or doing a really long course? You know, if you've got to learn on the go, what are the resources that have really helped you or people or strategies? Yeah, I think it's probably people. Like at this point, Mm -hmm. I'm looking at a business organisation that I want to join and that's probably the first time since I've been in business that I'm looking for outside help. I think the first board meeting we had at Bella Box with Fairfax, we just were not prepared. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, like what is a board meeting? <laughs> so I think we probably learnt more so from our mistakes. But I think to ask around, like if you're all of a sudden going to a board meeting, get an example board pack and mm. understand what you should be doing. I think like I've looked at the director's course and decided not to do that, but I know a lot of people that have done that have done well. I love going to seminars, so trying to find out where you need help. Mm. And then, yeah, I think it's more often than not, it's just talking to people to say, what should I do next? But really when I think about that move from finance into now the roles that I have, it's more so just concentrating, like what's my expectation for my day? What am I going to do? And then, and getting cues from people whether or not you're doing it right. Yeah, yeah. totally. Because <laughs> right. I think people look for, and it's natural, but people look for a formal way to kind yeah. of get ready. And you realise along the way there's no formal way. I mean, there, yeah. there are. There are lots of formal ways. Yes. But on the go, if you need to do it quickly, it's not just one mentor or one yes. program or one networking event. It's kind of just like ask all the people at all of the time. Exactly. You know, when the, As things come up, you'll have different mentors for different things, maybe a finance mentor, maybe a business development yeah. mentor, a marketing mentor. Like you kind of figure out your upskilled network as you go along. You exactly. don't just fall into like this beautiful relationship with one person and then that's yeah. the answer to everything. And I think it's ask questions like I definitely one of my early board meetings with our first investors at Bellabox they said oh someone's one this investor's bringing an observer to the board and when I got to the board meeting I'm like so an observer <laughs> do they get to say anything and yes. they're all in the series <laughs> I said sorry I just have to ask I'm yeah. like it seems like he's got a lot to say I would like to listen to him but because he's an observer am I allowed then- <laughs> to interact can I smile at him <laughs> so yeah I probably err on the side of asking all the dumb questions which I'm kind of fine for as opposed to like like having a set plan but definitely <laughs> <laughs> I think that shows personality I'm kind of really amusing yeah totally and then you're not left wondering like what exactly. the fuck is going on <laughs> what's this person talking he's an observer excuse me do you know why you're here can we get the definition of observer yeah. I think that means not talking <laughs> so moving on to the next segment which is NATA and that's yes. really all the stuff that doesn't get as much airtime. Yep. the stuff that it's not as interesting mm. I mean it's not as glossy it doesn't make as good of a story but I think it's the bit that's the most relatable usually the most useful and often the most interesting because that's where big developments come that's where all the growth happens and it's also the bit where you realize everyone is human everyone Mm. who's you know had a overnight success 10 years in the making has had so much crap behind the scenes to get there so what have been the biggest challenges that have gotten in the way of your joy along the way I think it's tough like I think you know, the self-doubt thing does come up like you're every day and I'm more like, okay, today I'm just going to try and improve what I did yesterday. But mm. um, definitely when we were doing the Bella Box deal with Fairfax, I was pregnant with my second child because obviously <laughs> I'd pitched pregnant to, during the first investment. <laughs> so I seemed to be pregnant every time I was pitching to in suits. Um, I don't know if that's an advantage or not. Like it's a strategic it's kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's really funny to think about now that they must have, like I'd walk into a room really pregnant and they're like, what? She's going to get any money out of us. Um, but anyway, they were pretty good. But I had all the lawyers trying to, you know, sign how many documents mm. one week before I was about to give birth. Um, <laughs> and then at, at work, of course, and my daughter who was just turned two at the time was sick from childcare and I had no one to look after her and I managed to get her looked after for like three hours and then I had to do this big call with the lawyers and I totally broke down like I just left the office I know it makes you want to cry and I it does it makes me like oh like imagine so imagine me on the corner of Elizabeth and Flinders in the city and I'm 
bawling and I'm like 40 weeks pregnant. <laughs> I don't know about giving birth. Oh, somebody. <laughs> so I ring up my mum and she's, I'm from Geelong, so she's in Geelong out for lunch and oh. I'm like saying to her, you need to come to Melbourne. I just like, <laughs> I'll st- I'll wait here for the 55 exactly. minutes it takes you to get here. <laughs> and I honestly thought this must be a breakdown. This yeah. must be the this end. This is it. This is it. And so... Then Jamie's dad got involved and it was fine. I managed to get through. But they were both like, like Jamie's dad never seen me cry. (laughs) He just like, who's this pregnant monster who can't stop crying? Puffy eyes. Puffy Puffy belly. (laughs) It was all puff. So I feel like that was the time where I was just like, I just cannot, I Mm. cannot keep going. And mum's like, don't worry about it, you know. And we got through. I signed the deal in hospital, you know, a day after I'd given birth. So, (laughs) as you do. Didn't take any maternity leave and I'm sure no one was really that appreciative. (laughs) You deserve way more pats on the back than you got. (laughs) Totally do. Yeah, but that would be the toughest that, yeah. Definitely the hardest time I've ever had. And then since I kind of like get on with it, like I'm not, yeah. I don't have breakdowns like that all the time. But I think that would be my one and only time. Yeah, but it's that's part of it. It's, it's hard because you're really like trying to remind, uh, remain calm and brave. And in the end, girls just cry more than boys as you get yeah. older. And I know we're all trying to work on that, but it's just really like. I was just a point where I'm like, I can't even talk to anyone on the phone. Like, yeah. I'm just so. I have no words. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> there if is someone says, left. Are you all right? I will crumple on the floor. <laughs> so don't ask me. <laughs> don't ask me. Okay. So, yes, that would be – but, you know, normal day-to-day, it's more so every morning I'm like, okay, this is my to-do list. This is how I'm going to improve. And I just try and concentrate on the things that I can make a difference at. Mm. Yeah. I think that's such a good attitude. And it is. Yeah. It's really hard in this day and age to well, – everything's so fast, firstly. So yeah. you feel this endless pressure to keep up. Yeah. Who knows with what, but yeah. keep up yeah. with something. <laughs> and then everyone else's journey is so visible. It's mm. only the highlights and you're kind of getting distracted by am I being inspired or am I being like beating myself up about yeah. you know what my competitors are doing. It's a very, very hard time to focus on just your own thing. Yeah. Um, but I also think – when you add family to the mix and being a mom, there's a whole other level of like, I am in awe of you right now because oh, I can't keep it together and I don't even have kids yet, <laughs> let alone three, let oh alone as a director. Like, no wonder you had a breakdown. How do you find the balance between, like, do you ever have mum guilt or guilt towards yourself because you didn't take maternity leave or because it, yeah. the journey doesn't look like, you know, other mums? And I think yeah. if anyone is ever judgy in life, you know, I haven't even gone through it yet, but I feel like motherhood is that one area where everyone suddenly mm thinks that they can tell you everything that they think about what you're yes. doing <laughs> I think they do like everyone gives you advice but I think it's more so for me it's like and then how you feel that you can't volunteer like I've kept the school bus waiting to go to swimming class because yeah. I was you know, <laughs> I'm on a call <laughs> I'm that person this like, is Fairfax on the phone <laughs> running and you know I was even laughing once I was walking in so my kids are in like grade one four-year-old kinder and three-year-old kinder and um, I was walking into prep and I'm on the phone to my sister and you know headphones in like looking like an idiot and I'm marching in like high heels at every it felt like every other mum was in athleisure wear and I just like march into the playground because I've got to be on time you know and then I just like stop and I, I said to Emily I'm like oh my god I feel like I have like <laughs> 200 mums looking at me right now and everyone's got sneakers on I'm like so I just need to be quiet and I'm just going to get off the phone yeah. <laughs> and act really relaxed and not corporate and not corporate <laughs> yeah. not corporate like just like so uh, so uh, yeah I think it's more that feeling that you're and and what happens is like you know my daughter was saying why don't dads come to swimming yeah and so I rang up Jamie and I'm like there's a school disco on this Friday yeah. you are volunteering yeah. <laughs> he's like okay like we're not having a daughter that thinks that it's only the mum so I think it's just those little things that naturally still the world that we live in which is just where we're at Mm. that yeah the mums are the ones volunteering so when you're turning up and you're not that mum then of course you feel guilty about it so I think it's it's just the deal like and you know and I don't get into the office till like 9 30 every day because I drop off the kids and that's my like that's your time yeah Yeah. I want to do that I want to be present. I want to get to know other mums because otherwise I'm, like, going to have the kids that are like, oh, yeah, oh, mum, waiting for mum again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mum's in a board meeting. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I tell everyone this. I did a panel for Pause Fest and it was women in business and I was saying to my daughter, I've got this panel today and I try and make it sound exciting. And um, so she thinks I'm impressive. And Because um, <laughs> the voice is just like, are. whatever, whatever. Yeah. And, but I thought, I can't tell her it's women in business. So I just said, I've got this panel today. It's about being in business. And she was like, boring. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like... Yeah, that is pretty boring. And wait but till you know what it's I'm really important. about. <laughs> I am important out in the world that you don't know about yet. Some people think, some people listen to me. That's yes. what I say. At work, some people listen to me. Yes. Not like well, that's the thing with the down-to-earth thing. It's like I, I don't even need to ask any mums that question because mm. they're like, I'm a mum. That's enough. I look at poo all day. My kids don't think I'm fancy at all. They don't think what I do is impressive. Exactly. Like, yeah, it's just kids. So, yeah, look, I think – the balancing is just you, you try and do what you can and you'll always have guilt. Like yeah. you, tr- you, you try to convince yourself not to have that guilt but it's always going to be present, I think. Yeah, and that's part, I mean, that's part of I yeah. don't think anyone ever doesn't have some kind of guilt. Either exactly. you're not working enough and you feel guilty or you're working too much and you feel guilty. Exactly. But that's, you know, we beat ourselves up about everything every chance we get. So Exactly, yeah. So it's just along the same lines, just with kids involved. And what yeah. about the connectedness like that it's amazing now that we can you know do boarding meetings on the phone and we can do a lot of things virtually and but that you know what comes with that and working with different time zones particularly if Mm. you're global is being connected all the time being up to date with what social media is doing with you know speaking at events and being Mm. out there all the time I get this like relentless productivity pressure and once you define yourself as well if you're a bit of a type a you define yourself with doing things yeah so do you find that a bit of a fight in your head yeah it's a total fight but i think you can do little things that then make you feel more in control like small things yeah yeah like my instagram is private and that's just because i'm like and it's even you know i've got less followers than i do on facebook because i've chosen to just have my immediate world for right now friends and family and that's it yeah I try not to be on my phone when the kids are around. So consequently, our poor kids are not really allowed to use phones or iPads because everyone's like, but can they use that? I'm like, no, they don't use that. <laughs> and I'm like, it's for work. It is yeah. boring. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, your poor kids are like, my mum is Instagram famous. Exactly. And I can't even use a computer. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's really bad. So, yeah, I think you just try and do little things. And I do. I have calls morning and night. So, but I just, when I get home, I try to like put them to bed, not be on a call and just deal with it. So it's small things that then I feel like I'm more in control yeah, than I think what I really am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's all in it's an illusion. illusion. <laughs> it's an illusion. So those small things lead me to the last segment, which is called play TA. And yep. this is the bit where we meet the person who isn't, you know, work Sarah or mum Sarah. Yeah. And I know that there's not a lot of time in the day left yeah. for anything else, Sarah. Yeah. Um, but I think it's really important to keep a part of your life that's not defined by your output yeah. or by being, being someone else's person um and it's important to have some kind of activity in your life that brings you joy and a lot of that I think when we when you do have the luxury to choose a career that you love you kind of think that that ticks the box of your yay but then you're gonna always burn out you're gonna lose creativity and you just can't sustain that if you don't have something else that's external so what do you do for yourself that brings you joy that's not necessarily productive or learning or doing it's just your activities that are for you uh, I feel like sport. Like I've just started doing tennis lessons again, which oh, I really love. So it's sort of doing and sort of productive. So but, no, <laughs> but I love it. So I'm sure my 24-year-old coach thinks I'm hopeless. But um, <laughs> that I'm really – like because I'm like, you know, you exercise and you're not always competitive. So you go to F45 and it's like, yeah, I'm kind of competing but I'm not really. Whereas I feel like tennis and running, if you're doing that, you're really like – I'm going to Focused. win. Like, you know, when I get angry, I'm like, hit the ball really hard. And he's like, wow, what's going on with you today? <laughs> Had a hard day at the office. <laughs> and then I think we try to go to shows a lot. So we were laughing, went to the oh. MSO the other night. And I Emily called me, of course, during it. and um, But it was like an intermission. And she was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm doing a social experiment on where all the 70-year-olds in Melbourne are. <laughs> She was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm at the MSO, but it's also where all the 70-year-olds are. So, And then I went and saw Sharon Van Etten the other night, So, like, which made me cool because she's number one on Spotify. So I feel like, yeah, getting out. And I park at the Arts Centre, so it's like almost a a hazard of parking there is that I always see all the shows on, so I try to get out. And seeing friends. Like, I'm Mm. social. I like, yeah, I don't like sitting at home being too boring. Yeah, I think it's so important to find those things, even if 
if it is really little, like even mm. if it's one hour of a show once a yes. month, if there's something that you can look into and buy tickets yeah. for and like get excited about and just yeah. – I kind of define the activities as the things that for, make you forget what time it is yeah. or make you forget what you're doing. Yeah. And if you're keeping track of, you know – your progress or whatever it's probably something that's not really relaxing your brain so for me it's puzzles because i'm like they are the least productive activity in the world because you make the puzzle to break it again and put it back in the box so there's no outcome exactly (laughs) and if i do puzzles then my kids break it before i make it yes reading i read i do i was gonna say do you read one yeah i do one fiction one business Good balance. Yeah. I've just finished my fiction, so I'm like... What kind of fiction? So it was... Or actually, I suppose it was non-fiction. So it's an NHS junior doctor that writes... It's called <gasps> This Is Going To Hurt, and it's all the stories. Oh, I've heard about this. Oh, my God. My friend gave it to me the other weekend. It was so excellent. Oh, that stuff so fascinates excellent. me. Exactly. Yeah, you'll never want to have children again, but... Oh, well, well maybe I should wait until yeah, exactly. I've had my well, first child, <laughs> and then I can think about don't it. go to London and have children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, so, yeah, I try and just alternate it. I used to, I think this is where this segment came from, was I used to think, oh, tick, I've read a book this week, so I've done my reading. Mm. Or tick, I've listened to a podcast, but it'd be a business podcast or a finance book or something learny or worky. And I wouldn't understand why I kept burning out because I'm like, I'm resting all the time. But I'd spend all Sunday reading business books and like noting things in the margins and trying to learn (laughs) and like acquire more knowledge. I'm like, that's not, I've learned to appreciate that you can do that stuff, but that Mm. has to kind of be in your work category because that's yeah it's not giving you any downtime from everything else that your brain is trying to do during the week so yeah fiction is amazing i mean love medical things and love crime yes okay see i'm not into the crime and i probably do more like i read shoe dogs so the oh phil knight amazing book yeah and i still don't feel like that's business to me even though it's sort of no it's because i don't know yeah it's a story it was great storytelling so that would almost be in my fiction category yes i'm redefining fiction yeah based on what i think it is (laughs) this counts as relaxation (laughs) i'm relaxed i'm relaxed i'm relaxed (laughs) yeah i love books like that that are like you kind of are learning along the way but it's not set out like do this this week write a list of blah blah Mm. blah oh yeah um do you watch tv a little bit, but not a huge amount. Probably more the news. And then we watch some... Oh, you do watch the news? I like the news. Oh, my oh. God. I listen to ABC. In the- wow. See, Nick is obsessed with the news. He has to read every single media outlet yeah. in every different perspective of every single thing. Like, he needs to know what the world is doing. And it's on? his thing. Yeah. I am the opposite. I think because when I was at the firm, I had mm. to read the financial review, like, from cover oh. to cover every single day, and it, like, scarred me for life. I'm like, yes. I just don't want to know what's happening in the world. I just want to fill my life with, like, bubbles and exactly. fairies and, like, <laughs> rainbows. <laughs> Maybe but, we'll go back to it. But, yes, the financial review every day would get a bit like that. Yeah, he, now he he'd funnels through. I'm like, if something really yes. big happens, like an earthquake or something, he'll tell me about it, and then I get, like, the Twitter version from him. So then I'm, I've ticked. Like, Done. That's yeah, all yeah, I yeah, that one. Yeah. Mm, I know about you know the Richter scale, that thing. <laughs> so, what about sleep? How does that factor into your life? And do you know how many hours you need? Is it a big thing, or is it like you're mm. dispensable? I th- I feel like I need it more than I have previously. So, I actually try to get go to bed at like nine thirty or ten every oh, night, and then it. yeah, anywhere I sort of start exercising like around about six. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's, that's good. Cool. That's it's really eight hours. Yeah, that's a lot. That's it good. It feels like a lot. I feel like we have a number of visitors into the room each night with the kids. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's not a full. Yeah. It's Someone's not a vomit. Stretch. Someone does this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone's wet in the bed. Like it's a bit. In your life, it would be amazing. In mine, it's like a patchwork quilt of like trying to run around and do various things. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, if you get two hours in a row, it's like tick. <laughs> and do you have any bad habits? Or vices? Um, or like guilty pleasures? Um, guilty pleasure. I'm a wine drinker. Ah, wine and champagne probably would be it. But other than that, I'm quite healthy. Yeah. Yeah. That's Maybe amazing. cheese. I love cheese. Yeah. Love it. I'm trying to teach the kids about various cheeses, more so, like, oh. so that they just don't have coon all their life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So every Sunday I've been buying a different cheese. And that, it's oh. funny they will go through the whole block because they're not at the stage where they're like, oh, you have two oh, pieces calories. of cheese. Mm. <laughs> Portions. Mm. I miss that age. Didn't appreciate exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Jamie will come in and be like, oh, my God. I'm like, yep, that's all gone. Yeah. But it's yeah. calcium. 
Think of their bones. Exactly. Think of their bones. (laughs) Second last question, just to finish up. What are three interesting things about you that don't usually come up in interviews? This is my favourite. This is where you really get to know people. Well, I think you put in there, I'm a massive Roger Federer fan, which people find Yes, I did put that in there. I forgot that I put that in there. (laughs) I love that. One day I'll get him on the podcast and I'll say, what do you think about Sarah Hamilton? Yes. (laughs) Because she loves you. Some of the girls at the um, Bella Box office tried to tell me that he was gay. And it was just like, I was so devastated. Do not crush my heart. Exactly. They were really like, I feel nervous about telling you this. (laughs) Because I know you really feel like you're destined to meet him. No, um, there's still time. I mean, still, I mean, he's had four kids, and you know, anyway, you never no, know. I love watching him play. <laughs> don't and crush I, your dreams. Yeah, exactly. Don't crush your dreams. And I feel like the only place I haven't seen him play is um, the French Open, so oh. that has to be on the cards before he retires, retires. and then I've got to find some time to do it. I know. Uh, I'm like Roland Garros is like <laughs> only in one middle time of the, but it's in our winter. Exactly. So, so that's, that's a, a good, good time. time to go away. Um, a random thing about me that I've noticed a lot recently, especially in business meetings, is I like to banter. I'm like always say something embarrassing at the start just to get things going. <laughs> yes. And I've done it at hostels with my sister. She's always like, just walk into a room and say hello. Don't say the awkward thing that's the awkward like, thing that, that vomits out of your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> You're the verbal diarrhea girl. I don't. I just like say something and then everyone laughs. And I just I'm like, why did I say that? It's really embarrassing. So. <laughs> Yeah, I just feel like in business meetings I do exactly the same. But that's good. I love it's kind that. Of funny. It's very refreshing. You know, I think board meetings can get very exactly. doer. And you're yeah. like, well, what is this? I'd like, rather volunteer personal information that makes people laugh. Which totally. Which make people feel uncomfortable. But for me, it's fine. Yeah, I love that. Um, three, yeah, massive Bulldog fans. So we have a Bulldog Thompson. And just today I got a new one. A new a That's new going to be a su- surprise for Jamie, yeah. A new puppy. <laughs> Sorry, we're, we're pausing so I can show the photo because it's like... Oh, my God, so worth it. Yeah. Dog, I'm a dog person. I <gasps> oh, my God. And because he won't listen to the podcast because I don't tell him what I'm on, he will not know that this has happened. This is the... Be- Look at his paws. They're so big. Oh, my God. Dogs are the best. They're the best. On my CZA page... I've been like post, and I realised I didn't really even notice that I was doing it. But yeah. like every fourth post was like a dog, <laughs> or some dog-related meme, and I was like, "Oh my god, the, there are cat people out there and I other need. animal people. I need to not be so biased." But dogs are the best. <laughs> well, that because we got Thompson in New York, so and he just turned ten the other day. So I'm like, "You had to quarantine him back into Australia." Oh, horrible, gosh. horrible, horrible, horrible. But he's been such a big part of our lives that I was like, you know what, I'm getting one and. As I said earlier, I like to make decisions quickly. Yeah. So I told the kids on Friday night and they've got to keep it secret from Jamie. So, oh so far it's working. Yeah. Oh, how so exciting. Hilarious. I know. Well, our golden, our golden retriever is seven, Paul, and um, he's Paul. our ring bearer, which is really exciting. Oh. <laughs> we literally chose the venue based on can we have a dog in Ooh. ceremony? And then they said yes and we're like, okay, lock it in. Exactly. <laughs> Where do we pay you? Where? <laughs> Um, and he's got a little tux that has like a little thing for the rings in it. But when he turns ten, we thought we'll probably get a puppy yes. to keep him young. Yeah, and, that's you know the they strategy. they have a friend, and yeah, it's really cute. Well, we had a birthday party for him. Oh, of course you did. <laughs> so if you need, why wouldn't it? you have exactly. a birthday party for him? So it was like kids and dogs and parents. It was hilarious. So I think oh we had about gosh. 45, 50 people. <gasps> That's and amazing. we had a cake for the kids and a cake for the dogs. <laughs> so, That's yeah, the dogs were invited. Oh my so then gosh. we cut it. And they were more polite than the kids. It was oh, really weird. The kids go to town. <laughs> and like The dogs just stood back. They didn't know. So we had to cut it up for them and put it in plates. Oh, my god! Random. See, why would you do things like of that? Of course, why wouldn't you? You're talking to one of those people who's like, why did you announce that like it was something weird? <laughs> Every person I told was like, that is classic. Like, and we sent out a paperless post invite. <gasps> oh, wow. Yeah. When it has an invite, it's like... It's a big deal. <laughs> it wasn't a yeah, It was like literally we gave everyone five weeks to reply. Probably more time than your wedding invitations. Actually more time than my wedding inv- invitations, which I haven't said yet, but that's fine. <laughs> and very last question, since I love motivational quotes yes. so much, what's your favourite quote? Okay. I knew you were going to ask me this, so I got one. Because <gasps> I Googled prepared. Sarah Hamilton Bellabox quotes, because I have been asked before and I know that I plucked something out. And you forgot what it was. I forgot what it was. <laughs> couldn't find it. And then I found this great one from Jeff, Jeff Bezos. Oh, he's amazing. But I cannot think of the author. I'm like, I printed it out. 
To laugh often and much, to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appreciation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends, to appreciate beauty, to find the best in others, to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch or a redeemed social condition or a dog, to know (laughs) even one life has breathed easier because you have lived. This is to have succeeded. Oh, my God. It's so profound. Exactly. I'm like, how, when you Google Sarah Hamilton Bellabox quotes, does that come up? (laughs) It was meant to be. (laughs) The universe has its ways. And I thought that was really cool. I love that so much because I think a big part of what is in my mind when I think about writing these questions and and having these interviews is the definition of success and how objectively it looks like one thing but really all that matters is what you think it means and often it isn't the big metrics that we think it is it's the small impacts like even to have left one life a little bit better I love that line I think that is to to have succeeded and it's not always a financial thing or Mm. what was your title or how many promotions did you get it's it's impact yeah and or or whatever impact you value as Mm. well I love that I think it helps you be grateful so you know and there's a lot of focus on it but it's true it's like I think you forget all of the things that you do do and sometimes concentrate on those metrics and it's nice it's nice to stop and be like oh that was cool yeah I made someone smile like that is success to me yeah there's another quote that I love which is uh and everyone will have heard me say it a million times but (laughs) (laughs) uh, people will never remember what you said or what you did they'll always remember how you made them feel Mm. and that really helps me focus and I probably don't focus enough on the metrics and I'm a little bit too much in the how do I am I making people feel every day but that is what makes me feel like I've woken up for a reason because I'm like I've left people feeling yay that's all I really care about (laughs) everything else whatever (laughs) that's excellent Thank you so much for today and for having me in your beautiful office. Yeah, it's amazing. Anytime. Thank you very much for coming. Don't say that. You won't be able to get rid of me. People always say that. Swing by any time. Yeah, I'm like, well, yes. I don't know. Okay, we've got heaps of room. <laughs> ah, another week, another amazing, humble and inspiring guest with a product that I just can't get enough of. If you haven't tried Sanded Sky yet, nothing leaves my pores tighter and happier. So I'll pop a link in the show notes so you know where to get it. As always, please do take a screenshot if you're listening and share your thoughts and takeaways from today, tagging at Sand and Sky and myself, so we know what you thought and can share those thoughts with the world. If you haven't subscribed already, hit that button now so you don't miss out on our Ripper lineup for the next few weeks. Thank you again always for tuning in. I hope you're seizing your yay.